Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Living Word Community Church. How are you today? It's great to have you here. Let's stand together. You know, before we spend a minute in prayer, I just want to remind you that what we do here is not a concert. It's not intended to be entertainment. We are here to celebrate our Lord Jesus, to celebrate him in song and in praise from our lips, from our hearts, unto the throne of the King of Kings. So just want to remind you that we have a lot of fun up here, you know, and we want this to be just in a time that you can embrace as being an enjoyable time to prepare your heart for the word, really, right? Uh, God alone is worthy of our praises, and uh, that's why we're here. So it's good for us just to remember that. Sometimes, you know, I see different things going on in the uh, Christian world, and I go, "Mm," you know, just like that. "Mm." So it makes me think, hmm, uh, we need to be careful in what we're doing and how we present ourselves, but also uh, understand what we are doing here, you know. There is one God shown and revealed to us in Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God the Father, the Trinity. And we are here to praise them, right? All right, let's bow our heads and hearts. Father, we thank you for this time, Lord, that you've given us again. The time that we, we treasure, Lord, this fellowship time you've given us as the body of Christ. When we can come together and just share our love, Lord, that you've put in our hearts for each other, Lord, and for you. And this time as we sing songs of praise for you alone, because you are worthy, Lord, we just ask you to stir our hearts and the words that we sing from your holy word today, Lord God. Let him transform us, renew us, empower us. Truly not the words, Lord, but your Holy Spirit within us. God. And we just ask that, again, you would show us more of yourself. We want to be more like Jesus, disciples of Jesus, Lord. And God, we ask that you would show us yourself again in your word as we study, Lord. Anoint Pastor Frank as he brings forth your word, Lord. And allow us to truly grow nearer and nearer to you and more like you as we hear your word and live your word, Lord. We want to honor you this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Open my eyes, Lord. 
opened my eyes to your wonders and mirror. You captured my heart with this love. Nothing on earth is as beautiful now. You opened opened my eyes to your wonders and mirror. You captured my heart with this love. Is as beautiful as you, beautiful one I love, beautiful one I adore, beautiful one my soul must sing. Beautiful one, beautiful one I love, beautiful one I adore, beautiful one my soul. Oh, my soul, oh, my soul, my soul must sing, my soul, my soul must sing, my soul, my soul must sing, beautiful one, my soul, my soul must sing, my soul, my soul must sing, my soul, my soul must sing, beautiful one, Beautiful one, I love. Beautiful one, I adore. Beautiful one, my soul must say one more time. Beautiful one, beautiful one, I love. Beautiful one, I adore. Beautiful one, my soul must. You open my eyes. Open my eyes to your eyes. Captured my heart with His love. It's nothing on earth Hallelujah means praise the Lord. He is mighty. You are mighty. You are holy. You are awesome. You are awesome in your power. You have risen. You have conquered. You have beaten. Sing it again. You are mighty. You are holy. You are awesome. In your power, you have risen. You have conquered. You have beaten. Let's sing hallelujah. You are mighty, you are holy, you are awesome, you are awesome in your power. You have risen, you have conquered, oh, you have beaten. 
Exciting things are here at Living Word as Brenda brings us some announcements about things you can do, things you can get involved with, ways you can participate. Good morning, church. How are we doing? How are we doing today? Awesome, awesome. So we're going to continue with announcements. There are a lot of great things that are going to be happening happening in the next uh, week, week and a half. Um, so make note of it, okay? Today is Missionary Sunday. Please support our missionaries by praying and giving a monetary donation. Please remember to mark your checks and envelopes missions, and then you can uh, either put the envelopes in the baskets or in the back. The women will be meeting, uh, actually, yes, the women will be meeting for Bible study on Tuesday morning at 9.45 a.m. Uh, sign up today in the Welcome Center for Men's Gathering this Friday, February 24th at 7 p.m. here in the church. Um, they're going to be having dinner, so make sure that you sign up for that, okay? Or you'll be very hungry watching the rest of us eat. <laughs> <laughs> we need exactly. to know how many people are coming, so please sign up. And also sign up today for the church potluck dinner this Saturday. Today is the last day to sign up. If you need a pan, please see Nancy, and she's over there, okay, after. <laughs> Bagel Fellowship is next Sunday after, sir. No, it's not. No, no it's not. Okay. All right, potluck, so yeah. we don't have that next week. Sorry about that. <laughs> Sorry. So, bring your own bagels. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Eat them after service. Uh, we're extending the deadline to sign up for summer camp until Saturday, February 25th. It's not up there, so parents just make note of that. 
there's an extension for um, signing up for the summer camp. Okay. Yeah, we had some good participation and we're starting to hone in. We started with four weeks, so this is really another response from you all on which of those four weeks and which children you might be able to, uh, are interested in bringing for the camp. And then we're gonna firm up the program and send something out following that. So please do pay attention. We have till Saturday. Awesome. And um, there's two other things. Uh, for those that have people listening in Spanish on uh, the translation, can you please make sure that you mute their phones? Um, si están escuchando en español, por favor ponga su teléfono, teléfono en silencio porque no se puede escuchar bien. Um, and then lastly, um, do we have any guests? We would like to welcome you. Please raise your hand. Any guests, please raise your hand. First time visitors. Hello. Uh, first time visitors over here on my Hello. left. And over there, please keep your hands raised. Your hands We're going to give you second. information about our church. Um, and then if you can just fill it out. <clears> and at the end of the service, you can go to the sound room there on my left. And we'll give you a free Jesus DVD. And if you don't have a DVD player, because it seems like people don't have that anymore, you can always scan it with your phone. So just make sure you fill it out and give it to the sound room. Thank you, guys. God bless you. Thank you, Brenda. If we can have our rushers come up, we're going to continue worshiping the Lord as uh, as we always do with an offering as part of that. One other announcement, just quick. Um, Monday, I believe, Ritter's at March 10th. March 20th is going to be the Lighthouse uh, Resource Center, Pregnancy Resource Center dinner. It's the annual dinner. It's a pretty amazing event. There's normally almost 1,000 people there at the Venetian. So Ritter and I will be uh, talking to uh, whoever wants to go. We're going to get a table uh, of 10. That's what we're shooting for. So make sure you talk to myself or Ritter if you want to participate in that, and we'll keep making announcements. But put it on your calendar if you want to go. It's a, an amazing event. Let's bow our heads and hearts. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your provision in so many ways. God, the very breath of our lungs when we wake in the morning, Lord. You sustain us. We know, Lord, that beyond what we could ever understand or see, Lord, you are the sustainer. And we praise you for that. We praise you for your provision, Lord, that allows us to continue to be here and to do your work until, Father, we see you face to face. and. We do want to be about your business, Lord, not our own. And God, we just thank you for this, this that you've given us in a provision, Lord God. And we just pray you multiply what we give here back to advance this work here, a living word, Lord, and beyond. May you be honored always. In Jesus' name, amen. You can stand whenever you like.
With authority you've spoken, and you set the captives free. You're the king who came to serve us, you're the God who washed our feet. You're the one who took our burdens, you bled upon the cross. In your kindness and your mercy, you became the way for us. Getting all our sins, you remember all your promises. You are amazing, more than amazing. Forever, our God, more than. your name, Lord. You are amazing. Your peace, Lord. He knows your name.
said to seek his face. Lord, you said seek my face. In my heart I say to you, your face I'll see. I press beyond the doubting and turn my face your way. Lord, you said seek my face. hold you back when you spoke into the darkness you had me lord in mind my name upon your hand your word within my heart lord you know my name lord you said seek my face lord you said seek my face in my heart I say to you, your face I'll see. And I press beyond the doubting and turn my face your way. Lord, you said seek my face. For eternity you've known me, this time can hold you bound. Spoken to the darkness, you had me, Lord, in mind. Name upon your hand, you work within my heart, Lord. You know my what I see, Lord. You've shown me what I see. You've shown me in your mercy things that will be. Your sovereign plan unfold the Trinity, spelling human darkness, allowing us to partner in your plan. Lord, you know my name. Lord, you know. your name the word said he's written your name in the very palm of his hands you know that for eternity you've known me Lord God this time can't hold you bound you spoke into the darkness Lord and we were just a thought praise your name Lord God Lord you know our names let's sing for eternity Lord God eternity can hold you bound when you spoke into the darkness you had me Lord in my heart my name upon your hand your word within my heart Lord 
eternity. For eternity you've known me. This time can't hold you bound. Oh no. When you spoke into the darkness, you had me, Lord, in mind. My name upon your head. Your word within my heart. Lord, Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you, Lord God, for this morning. Lord, this is the day you have made, and we will, Lord, we will rejoice and be glad in it. You've given it to us as a gift. Lord God, let us, Lord, truly make the most of it. Lord God, in living it to the full through Jesus Christ and his love and grace and power. I pray, Lord God, that as we come to your word today, Lord, that you would open up our hearts and open up our minds, that... You would speak to us, Lord God. I pray that, Lord God, the, the congregation here today would hear your voice. And, um, Lord God, that I would disappear, Lord God, behind the cross, that they would experience you, know you, come to know your love for them, Lord God. And, Lord God, be open to whatever changes, whatever, Lord God, advances you want to bring into their lives. I pray, Lord God, that you would truly have your way here, be glorified in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So God bless you all. It's good to see you all here this morning. You could stay seated right now. Uh, the title of today's message is The Greatest Verse. And if you were here last week, you know what I believe is the greatest verse in the Bible. So if you go with me to Mark chapter 14, verse 43 through 42, uh, 52, but I'm going to first read to you uh, a passage that we were looking at last week when Jesus was in Gethsemane. Write the prayer, not my will but yours be done. 
not my will but yours be done. It says he went a little further and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible that the error might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And I believe that that is the most important verse in the Bible because if he had not prayed that prayer and surrendered his heart to the Father, folks, we're all damned for all eternity. So then I'm going to have... uh, I'm going to read with you Mark chapter 14, verse 43 through 52. So what follows is Jesus' arrest in the garden. So it says in verse 43, And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now his betrayer had given them a signal saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away safely. And as soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and kissed him. And then they laid their hands on him and took him. And one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And then Jesus answered and said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then they all forsook him and fled. Now a certain young man followed him, having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body. And the young man laid hold of him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. So we have here again, this is the scene of Jesus' arrest. By the way, if you're visiting us today, I teach through the Bible. So it's not, you know, me being in First Chronicles chapter 1 and then, you know, Luke chapter 23 and then in, you know, Acts chapter 2. I teach through the Bible on Wednesdays and on, um, <clears throat> on Sundays. It is Sunday, right? Yeah, on Sundays. And um, just so you know, like people would read this passage, kind of an obscure passage. She's, you know... John 3.16 would be a a better passage to preach. We teach through the Word. We believe all the Word of God, right, from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation, is God's revelation to us. So we teach the entire Word, preach what is called the full gospel of God. So in this this text, you have a cast of characters. In the garden, in the arrest of Jesus in Gethsemane. And um, when you read the Word of God and I hope as you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit as he leads you in the reading of the Word of God, which is really the only way to read the Word of God, or you will not understand anything, you will find yourself in the stories. You will find yourself in the the narratives. Some of you have heard of Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson right now, is he's considered the psychiatrist of the world. If you haven't listened to him, go on YouTube, put up Jordan Peterson, and hear some of his, his messages. After a long life, he's come to believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior, the Messiah, that he is the Lord and he is God. And Jordan Peterson, something that, that he discovered as he began to read through the scriptures, he, he came to see, just as it tells us it is, it is living, it is active, it is, it is alive. And what he began to see is he began to see himself in all the different narratives and all the different stories. So... Again, as I'm reading scripture, I find myself. And sometimes it's not always flattering. So here are a cast of characters. And uh, as we go through this today, I want you just to open your heart. And you'll ask yourself, where am I in this story? 
So the first, the first are the fakes. And boy, are they fakes. In verse 43 of uh, Mark chapter 14, and immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and scribes and the elders. So I want you to first focus on the chief priests. The chief priests, they are the Sadducees, you have the scribes, you have the Pharisees. I just want to affirm this to you. Their prayer is our will be done, not yours be done. Okay? They have, they have no interest in doing the will of God. They are religious leaders, and it's not about God's will, it's about their will. And boy, that, that really can kind of shock you when you, you know, think of religious leaders. But if you study 2,000 years of church history, you'll see that this many times was the norm. That those who are in Christian leadership... And you can look at popes, you can look at priests, you can look at pastors, you can look at bishops, weren't always seeking to do the will of God. And these were, were certainly not. Their interest is in their own agendas. Their interest is in their traditions. Their interest is in their rituals. Their interest is in themselves and not in the will of God. Now, I just want you to jump ahead to Mark 14, verse 53 through 65. And what you get a picture of here is they concocted a number of false trials to condemn Jesus to the cross, okay, for absolutely nothing because he didn't break their laws. So Mark chapter 14, verse 53, and they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. But Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. Now, the chief priests and the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. Then some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. But not even then did their testimonies agree. And then the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But he kept silent and answered nothing. And again the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son? Uh, of the blessed. And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand in power and coming with the clouds of heaven. That's a quote from Daniel chapter seven fourteen. And then the high priest tore his clothes. What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be des deserving of death. And then some began to spit on him and to blindfold him and to beat him and to say to him, prophesy, and the officers struck him with their palms of their hands. So what you essentially see here, these are a bunch of fakes. These are a bunch of liars. I mean, if you're looking at this story, you think you're in Washington, D.C. at this time. It's just, it's just, it's just lies. Just, it's just fakery. Now, I want you to understand, most people, when you look at, at Jesus and his trial, there wasn't just one trial. There were actually six. I'll show you, and, and you get a, a great picture here. There were three religious Jewish trials <clears throat> that um, you have, and that is before and as 
who is the, uh, he was the former high priest, Caiaphas, okay, and then before the Sanhedrin. And then there were three, call them civic uh, Roman trials, and that is before Pontius Pilate, before Herod, and then he comes back a second time before Pontius Pilate. So I think sometimes when you read the scriptures again, there were six trials that Jesus went through. And they are uh, accusing him of all sorts of things. They're just they're they're lying, they're slandering. It's perjury. I mean, it's gossip. And by the way, according to Deuteronomy, everything they're doing is illegal. According to the Jewish law, they violate every aspect of the Jewish law in what they're doing to Jesus. I just want to show you a, a passage from Proverbs twenty-five eighteen. It says, "Telling lies about others." <clears throat> is as harmful as hitting them with an axe, wounding them with a sword, and shooting them with a sharp arrow. You see, God equates slander with murder because what slander is doing, it's trying to destroy a person's character. God values the character of a human being as much as he values their, their actual physical life. So that's what these, again, these so-called religious leaders are doing. Now let me share... Jesus talked and he taught a parable. He said that uh, basically trying to bring the gospel to these uh, traditionalists, these religious people, would be like taking fresh wine and pouring it into old wineskins. And essentially what happens, the wine ferments and then it bursts the old wineskin. The old wineskin doesn't have the ability to, to, to stretch. So, new wine, right? He said new wine needs to go into new wineskins because you can't put new wine into old wineskins. And again, this is the, the picture. Jesus came to bring new wine. These, these men are entrenched in religion. Jesus came to bring a relationship. Do you understand that? He came to bring a relationship to us from God. A personal relationship. You're here today with your, your loved ones. You're here today with somebody that is significant to you. You know what? That's a relationship. That's what he came to bring. He came to bring a dynamic, unique relationship between us and God. They're not into that. They're into religion. They're into rituals, right? They're so entrenched in religion and rituals that essentially, again, they're going to burst from the new wine. They're into their own glory and not the glory of God. So you, you look at things that Jesus said about the Sadducees, Pharisees, and scribes. In Matthew chapter 6, he said that when they pray, they pray these loud prayers. They stand in the marketplace. You do it three times a day. And all of a sudden, right, it's, it's like all of a sudden they're... Right, their sundial watch goes off and it's like, stop, lift up their hands and they begin to pray this loud prayer that goes on and on and on. And it's a shame that they didn't have a 12-step program in their time, like on and on, because they really needed it. On and on. You know, some people just go on and on and on. <clears throat> Lenny, it took time for you to get that. <laughs> So, so they're, again, they, they, they love to be seen. So when they would give, they would blow the trumpet. So they would give and then they'd want everybody to know what they gave. And I, you know, I, I equate that. I'm not on Facebook, 
but people have come to me and it's like, you know, there are Christians, every time they do a good deed, they put it on Facebook. Folks, you know what Jesus said? You've already received your reward. There's no future reward for what you've done. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. When you do a good deed, don't tell people about it. God sees it. Do it in secret. But these guys would stand there and they're, boast, they're boasting, right, of what they've done. And then he said when they fast, right, they, they fast, they're fasting for a few hours, they're fasting for a day, and they dishevel some, and they walk around and it's like, oh, um, you know, Rabbi, you, you, look, you look really tired today. Rabbi, you don't look well. I've been fasting. I skipped breakfast. I'm fasting today. They love titles. They love titles. They love to be called rabbi. They love to be called teacher. They love to be called father. They, they were caught up in titles. You know, sometimes I see people, do you know who I am? Do you ever see people like that? Do you, do you know who, if you have to say that to someone, maybe you forgot who you are. I don't know. If you have to ask somebody that, I see clergy like that. Reverend, right? Reverend doctor. So these, that's what they were into. They, they, when Jesus tells the, the, the parable of the tax collector who beat his breast and wasn't even willing to look up to God and said, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. And the Pharisee who stood there and said, I'm so wonderful, I'm so great, look at all the things that I do. And then Jesus said, which one walked away, forgiven, righteous, justified? And it was the tax collector who humbled himself and asked God to show mercy upon him. And, G and Jesus, what he said was, for he who exalts himself is going to be humbled, and he who humbles himself is going to be exalted. They didn't get that message. They didn't get that. It was all about their glory. It was about their power, right? It was about their fortune. And Jesus enraged them. He enraged them. And their plot was to murder him. In Acts chapter 4, Peter says to them, you murdered the author of life. How about that? You murdered the author of life. So again, they're, they're fakes. Second, the fraud. And that is Judas. I mean, the greatest fraud. You know, it's not popular to call your child Judas today. <laughs> this is my son, Judas. No, they, 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 you know, they, they don't. Adolf is not popular, right? This is my son, Adolf. Mark 14, 43 through 45, and immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude of swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now his betrayer had given him a signal saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him and lead him away. Notice what he says here, lead him away safely. I just want you to lock that into your mind for a second, because I'm going to share something with you that I believe many of you don't know. But... Lead him away safely. And as soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and he kissed him. So here's Judas. Again, Judas is a fraud. He's a fraudulent disciple. He's got a title. Apostle. 
right? He, he's, right? He's in the fold. He's walking with Jesus and the other apostles. He, he looks the part. In fact, if we were living back then, we would see Judas. Well, we, we wouldn't be able to discern. We wouldn't be able to know that Judas, okay, was the one who was going to betray him. Judas is all about his will, right? It's not, it's not your will be done. Judas is about my will be done. And he is highly ambitious. Judas sees Jesus as a ticket to fame and fortune. I just want you to see that. He sees Jesus as a ticket to fame and fortune. Now, you go back to John chapter 12, 6, right? He's dipping. He's, he's the one, he's, he's the bookkeeper, okay? He's the treasurer. And what is he doing? He's dipping. He's dipping into the money, putting it into his own pocket. And then he sees an opportunity to get more money. And so he betrays Jesus, right, for 30 pieces of silver, to the priests. So it is about money, but it's about more than money. See, I believe what Judas is doing is Judas is forcing Jesus' hand to declare himself to be the Messiah. Because Judas believes if Jesus declares himself to be the Messiah, and again, the common, the common theme in the time of Jesus was that the Messiah was going to come, establish his kingdom, destroy the Romans, and then set up, right, his kingdom. Judas would be, he would be a big honcho in that camp. I mean, Judas is one of the twelve. He's going to be one of Jesus' underbosses. He's going to be one of Jesus' princes. So, in his ambition, he's seeking to force Jesus' hand. He wants power, right? He wants, he wants money. And he's not thinking about Jesus going to the cross. He's thinking about forcing Jesus into this situation where Jesus declares himself to be the Messiah. And then again, Jesus declares himself to be the Messiah, establishes his kingdom, and what does that mean for Judas? That means fame, that means power, that means fortune, but everything goes south. The best laid plans of mice and men often go astray. And, and you know, everything goes, goes south. And all of a sudden, Jesus, right, is being taken away to be crucified, and Judas realizes that. And now, Judas is, is filled with, with guilt, Judas is, is overwhelmed with, gee, with, with guilt. You ever see somebody when they're, they're kind of plotting? We see this, right? You see this in the media. You see this with politicians. You see this with, with, with business. I mean, the, the rich and famous Hollywood people, right? Uh, coaches, athletes, you know, they, they're, they're plotting and they're scheming and all of a sudden they get caught in everything, right? Everything goes south. The crap hits the fan. Then what do they do? They, they try to, right, go into, right, they try to go into some type of, like, defense mode. A, you know, ex excuse mode, cover-up mode. So wh what does Judas do? Judas goes to the priest. He goes back. He says, Here, here's, here's, the, here's the 30 silver coins. We don't, we don't want this. Take your, take your, take your silver coins. He's, he's trying to show here repentance, he goes to the priest, says, Here's, here are my silver coins. They don't want to be bothered with him. But listen, they don't care about him. They don't love him. Right? They don't have any compassion for him. 
And they don't have any power to forgive him. Here's the, here's the silver coins. They reject them. What does he do? He takes them and he throws them. He throws them into the temple. His guilt is still there. His guilt hasn't been removed. By the way, just look at the situation. He went to the wrong people. Right? Who do, should he have gone to? Right? He's the only one who could have given him forgiveness. He is the only one who could have totally washed away all of his sins. But he went to the priests. People coming to me. Many years. People will come to me and they will confess their sins to me. I've had a, a woman confess that she killed a man. This was a number of years ago. She came and she confessed to me. I'll just tell you this real quick. The man raped her. And he lived upstairs. She lived downstairs in the house they were in. And um, she basically turned on the gas and killed him. She said she hadn't shared that with anybody for years. She came and she, up in my office, she confessed that to me. Had people confess, you know, adultery. People confess embezzlement. People, you know, confess, you know, cheating. And I, I, I look at them and again... I can't do anything for you. The only thing I can do is what? Right? Right? Can't help you. I can't. I can't forgive you. I can't give you grace and the abolishment of your sins. I have to... That's where Judas should have gone. But he went to the religious leaders... And the guilt was not resolved. And it's eating away the soul. Where does he end up? And he hangs himself, kills himself. You know what's it's interesting about this? The very idol he worshipped was himself. The idol that he worshipped. He, he, he lived, right, again, for himself. And then when... Everything fell apart. What did he do? He destroys the very idol that he was once worshipping. By the way, I'll say this to you. If it's not his will, but yours, and you are fixated on yourself, there comes a time where we become extremely harmful to ourselves. And that's the situation with Judas. All right, number three. The fighting. Again, Peter, it's not your will be done, it's my will be done. And Peter could not accept the fact that Jesus the Messiah came to die on a cross for our sins. So let's go back, and I shared this about Peter a few weeks ago, but you go all the way back into the middle of Jesus' ministry, and it says this, From that time Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and the scribes, and be killed. He repeated this over and over again. And to be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Again, Peter had that cultural concept that Messiah was going to establish his kingdom, and he was totally ignorant of the fact that Messiah had to come as the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world and die on the cross. 
So he's trying to get in the way of Jesus. He's like, he's standing between Jesus and the cross and saying, no, 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 you're not going there. And Jesus, he says, get behind me, Satan. It's not that, that Peter was demon-possessed and a Satan, but Satan is using him. Satan can use believers to basically, right, limit, okay, or, or keep God from accomplishing his purpose. So here he's being used in that, you know, in that manner. I don't believe a believer, a true believer, can be demon-possessed. I don't believe Peter was demon-possessed. I just think he's being manipulated and he's being deceived by the devil, which, can, which is something that can happen to us. So then you go into the garden, and again it says, and then they laid their hands on him and took him. And one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. We know that's Peter. Again, Peter is, my will be done, not yours be done. And Peter had an agenda. He did not want Jesus to go to the cross. He wanted Jesus to establish his kingdom, declare himself to be the king, the Messiah, and then he again would have a major leadership role in that earthly kingdom. So he does this compulsive, crazy act. There's 400 soldiers. This, this is a fisherman, right? Right, they're doing nets. This is a fisherman, not a special forces soldier. And he does this crazy thing. You ever see the movie The Vikings with Kirk Douglas, Tony Curtis, and Ernest Borgnine? Old movie, 1958. And it's a great movie. It really is. It's a classic movie. And um, Ernest Borgnine plays Rodna Lokbrook, who was a famous Viking warrior who was raiding England. And in the movie, by the way, this isn't how Rodna, Rodna Lokbrook died, but in the movie, Hollywood, uh, Ernest Borgnine is captured, okay, by the English. And the way they kill him is they take him and they throw him into a pit with hungry wolves, and a Viking, a Viking wants to die with a sword in his hand because if he dies with the sword in hand, then he goes to Valhalla. That's Viking heaven, which is quite different than our heaven. Viking heaven, you have sex, you get drunk, and you fight, and you never die. That's, that's Viking heaven. That's Valhalla. So he, he, well, Tony Curtis gives him the sword, and what he does is he jumps into the pit and he just like lets out, ah! he lets out the yell and he jumps into the pit. And he's devoured by the wolves. That's Peter. But thanks to Jesus, he wasn't devoured by the wolves. But he is like, he's like, he's a lunatic. <laughs> and he's going to, you know, he's going to take on 400 soldiers by himself. Look at John 18, 10 and 11. It says, then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which the Father had given me? The cup of dying on the cross, taking the wrath of God and our sins upon him. That was his mission. Peter right, is attempting to keep Jesus from drinking that cup. Now I want to ask you something. What do you think Peter's motive is in this? Besides insanity, 
What do you, what do you think? What is the, the underlying motive of Peter to carry out this, really, this, this I'll tell you, it's, it's crazy, but it's also very heroic. It's very courageous. But what do you think? What do you think is the, his motive? Yes. Who said love? It's love. It's his love for Jesus. And you're right, remember, it's not agape love. Or he didn't have agape love yet, right? Up in the Galilee, he had phileos love. He had brotherly, brotherly love. He had a deep brotherly affection. He loved Jesus. He, lo- he loved Jesus deeply. And I think that, again, caused him, again, there's a lot of heart in it. There's just not a lot of head in it. There's just not a lot of brain in what, in what he's doing. But it's love that drives Peter. I want to share. This is an encouraging. I read a book. It's, uh, he's considered one of the top researchers on the military and killing. The name of the book is Killing. And um, oh, by the way, I wouldn't encourage you Unless you're very in, if you're in law enforcement or you're a soldier or into the martial arts, it's a worthwhile book to read. But um, he basically says that 80% of all soldiers up until Vietnam, he goes to American history, British history, a number of other different nations, 80% were not willing to kill on the battlefield. 80%. That kind of warmed my heart, right? That we, I think, you know, men are, are killers, right? But 80% are unwilling to kill in battle. So World War II, there were all these studies done, and all these soldiers were given the rifles. They never fired. They never fired at... at and by the way, the Germans, their, their kill rate was something like 70%. The Germans were much more willing to kill the English, the French, and the Americans than uh, the Americans and the French and the British were willing to kill the Germans. And one of the, here, here's one of the reasons why. The Germans did a great job dehumanizing their enemies. They're just vermin. They're just, they're vermin, they're, they're just rats, kill them, destroy them. The Germans, they, Hitler did a great job just implanting that we are the superior race. Since we are the superior race, we'll kill. So an American general did all this research during World War II, and then he came out and he said, we need to teach our soldiers how to kill. And one of the things that they said a soldier will kill for is for his comrades, his friends, more so than for himself, he will, he will fight for his comrades. So if you ever heard of Audie Murphy, Audie Murphy was a, the most decorated World War II soldier, okay? And they asked Audie Murphy, you know, he, killed a lot of, he killed a lot of the enemy, and they said, how, you know, how did you kill? What motivated you to kill all these people? You know what he said? They were killing my brothers. Now, if you know anything about the special forces and how they train them, they train them in units. And they will fight, and they will fight to the death for their brothers. But it's essentially, it's love that's the motivating factor there. So here, here in this situation, here is Peter, and he is motivated by love for Jesus to do this crazy thing. Because, folks, he only got an ear, but he was going for the head. He would have killed, he would have killed this man. But he was motivated by love. As crazy, as compulsive as it is, but still it's his will, not God's be done. Jesus 
had to go to the cross to die for us. Okay, number four. The fleeing. And in verse 50 it says, Then they all forsook him and fled. And I'll say this again. I'll, I'll say this now. This is the, the, the ten apostles here. It's their will, not God's be done. Because they again are locked in to this theology, to this paradigm, this, this philosophy. And the philosophy is, is that Messiah comes, sets up his kingdom, right, destroys his enemies. He wipes out the Romans. The kingdom is set up. And right, he brings in, he ushers in this, this time of peace, which we can read about in Revelation chapter 20. This is what Jesus will do in the future. But he first had to come as the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. So they, they are ignorant of the word of God in places like Isaiah 52, 53 or Psalm 23 or Psalm 16 where it talks about the Messiah having to come and die. He had to come and die for our sins to take away our sins. So I said this, he didn't come, right, to shed Roman blood. He had to come first to shed his own blood. He, he didn't come to conquer the Romans, right? He came to conquer our hearts with his love, with his sacrifice of him hanging there six hours that Friday, nailed to the cross and dying for us so that we could be forgiven and we could receive the gift of eternal life. They, they, didn't, they didn't understand that. So it's like, it's like today you have Christians and right they just study certain parts of the Bible but they reject the rest. We talk about cherry picking, right? They cherry pick the Bible. Well, I, I, I like this. I like Philippians because it's filled with happiness and joy. But um, I, I'm not crazy about Revelation because it's filled with a lot of judgment. So we pick and choose. And we cherry pick the scriptures. And so we, you know, like the parts of it that are sweet, but we don't like the parts of it that are sour. And here they are in that situation. So, I want to just take you back, okay? Go back a, a few months before in Luke chapter 18, 31 through 34. It says, then he, he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered up to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit on. And they will scourge him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. Not too hard to grasp, right? Watch. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them and they did not know the things which were spoken. Now was it that God was hiding it from them? I don't want you guys to know this right now, so I'm going to hide this from you. I don't think that's what's going on here. I think that they, they are so locked in to, again, a mindset, a philosophy, a theology, a paradigm. They are so locked. This was the, this was the cultural, again, it is the cultural message. When Messiah comes, the Romans are going down, and he's establishing his kingdom. He's, he's creating that kingdom. They are so entrenched in that. You ever see people who are so locked into an ideology? Right? 
I mean, it's like, it's, it's cultic. You talk about, you know, and folks, brainwashed, we're all brainwashed. Just be careful what you're allowing into your mind that's brainwashing you. And I think it's, it is important to have a certain openness. You know, people come to me with different ideas. I've sat in, with, with Jehovah Witnesses or to Mormon, with, with Mormons or people in Christian science through the years, Roman Catholic people, and just and, and open to listen to them because nobody listens to anybody anymore. Even Democrats I'll listen to. <laughs> I will. You know, sometimes views that even, even the person who is, who is very, um, you know, I believe in life, I'm pro-life, somebody who's very pro-abortion, I want, well, well, let me just hear, can I hear where you're coming from? You have this passion. Well, a mother who, who has five kids and has a baby and can't take care of them, and she's, we just stop, maybe we open our hearts with, we still, we're still pro-life, maybe we just open up our hearts with a little compassion. <clears throat> it's good to get out of the church. I like to be out of the church. I like to be out talking to people who are not in the church, who are not in the word, trying to understand. But people get locked into an ideology and they are totally closed. Christians can be some of the most closed-minded people that I've ever met. And they get locked into, again, some theology. They're from a church. It could be a, a Pentecostal church, a charismatic church, a Baptist church, an Episcopalian church. But they get locked in. Most of them can't even explain what they believe from Scripture. Or you ask them, well, where's that in the Bible? They can't explain it. But, oh, it's, it's what the pastor said. Well, that's a scary thing. So I say, check everything that we're saying here to make sure it is, it is scriptural. So, so, again, they are locked into this ideology and they are blind to the fact that Jesus came to die. I mean, their minds are just shut. They're shut so tight that when Jesus is saying, I have to go to the cross and die, it's just like, pew, 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 right? It can't get in there. So after he's raised from the dead, uh, this happened, right, the very... Afternoon, evening, after the resurrection, Luke chapter 24, verse 44 through 46. Then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets, the Psalms concerning me. By the way, that, that, is, that is what we call Tanakh. That is the Old Testament. That is, that is the Old Testament, everything from Genesis to Malachi a little bit of a different order or a different way of categorizing uh, the Jewish people than the way we categorize it today. So he says, the prophet Psalms, right, Moses, they all talked about this, and then he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And then he said to them, thus it was written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. You know, what, you know what I believe the scripture describes to us here? Jesus, I don't know if he had a, the Tanakh scroll right there, or he just, I mean, he knew, he knew every verse in the Bible, took them to Isaiah 52, 53, and he showed them Messiah, me, had to die on the cross. 
so that you could be forgiven. For by my stripes you can be healed. And then he took them to Psalm 23, uh, 22, Psalm 22, and he shows them, my hands and my feet had to be pierced. You can see that right in Psalm 22. And then he took them to Psalm 16, showed them that he had to suffer, but that he would be raised from the dead. I believe that's what he did to open up their understanding. You know how our understandings are open? You know how we become more open-minded to the word of God and we really get rid of those, those false concepts, those false ideologies? It's through the scriptures. It's through the word of God. But again, their minds were locked and it was their will, not his will be done. Okay, last point. The faithful. So in verse 48 through 49, then Jesus answered and said to them, you have come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me. I was daily with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Notice what he says here. The will of God is where? In what? The, the scriptures. So people say, well, I don't know the will of God for my life. You want to know the will of God for your life? Get to know this book. It's been around for thousands of years. There's no book like it. It's still the number one bestseller this year in the world. The Bible. And they've burned it. <laughs> they've tried to destroy it. They've outlawed it. And they still, it's still number one. But if you want to know the will of God get to know the Bible. Don't rely on your pastor and don't rely on your priest or the Pope or some other religious leader. God wants to reveal his will to you directly into your life from the scriptures. So he says, so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. What, what again? What, what is fulfilled? Look, Mark chapter 8, 31. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and after three days rise again. That was the will of God. That Jesus submitted to and surrendered to in the garden, right, when he said, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. To me, that is the most important, that is the greatest verse. And by the way, that's just my opinion. I may get to heaven and the Lord will say, no, there were ten other ones. You, you missed it. I, I've missed a lot of things in my life. Not my will, but yours be done. That is what we should be about. The will of God. Scary verse. To me, the scariest verse in the Bible. And then I'm going to wrap up. Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That to me is the scariest verse in the Bible, at least for me. Because those are people who essentially look like Christians and look like Christian leaders. They're preachers. They're 
casting out demons. They're doing wonders in Jesus' name. I've had some of that experience in my ministry in the last 40 years. And he says to them, I never knew you. Because, right, they were not doing the will of my Father. And doing God's will, folks, have you found it really easy? Oh, Joanne, you shook your head. Yes, you shook your head. Yes. I want to know what you're eating. Can you, can you share that? I know, I know. Do you just find it's easy? Just, just... Jacob, who's his nickname, right? Who's first name, Deceiver. He wrestled with God. He grappled with God. You ever grapple? You ever really grapple with someone, though? Some of you who are wrestlers, and maybe you, you practice jujitsu. Let me tell you something. It's, it's, it's exhausting. He grappled with God. Some people, you know, just go through a lifetime just grappling with God, him trying to bring them into a place and bring them to a place of submission, but they refused to. And God finally had to touch his hip and dislocate it. I want to tell you, that hurts. One day I was on a leg extension machine doing leg extensions, and I popped my femur out of the joint. I mean, it was right sticking out, right in through the skin. I have a picture. You want me to put it up on the screen? I don't have a picture. It hurts. I tore everything, I tore everything out. I had to have that total reconstruction. But um, God had to essentially break him to make him. And by the way, God will do that in your life. He will break you to make you. Moses had, had a huge struggle coming to a place where he would be able to say, not my will but yours be done. God says to him, lead my people to freedom. Watch, watch. These, these are five arguments that he gave to God. First argument, I'm not good enough. Second argument, I don't have all the answers. Third argument, people won't believe me. Fourth argument, I'm a terrible public speaker. Fifth argument, I'm not qualified. He just like, like God, leave me alone. It's not, it's not for me. Gideon. Gideon struggled to submit to the Lord's will and say, not my will, but yours be done. Right? He wanted a sign. Right? I need some signs. I want this, you know, the ephod whole thing. I need signs. But it's the only time where God said, yeah, you want a sign, I'm going to give it to you. Because the rest of the time, God says, no, you're not getting a sign. Here's my word. Peter. Like the whole struggle. Not my will. Right? But yours be done until finally the Lord brought Peter to a place where he did surrender to the will of God. And he was used in such a wonderful way throughout the book of Acts. And Thomas. Right? Thomas just picture of somebody struggling to submit to the will of God. He's the doubter. He says, right, he wasn't there when Jesus was raised on that, you know, Sunday. He wasn't up in the upper room. And he says, I, I will only believe it if I see the holes in his hands and I can stick my hand into his side. And we say, he was gross. <laughs> and when Jesus appeared to him, he said to him, go for it. I'm paraphrasing. And then Thomas fell down on his face and said, what? My Lord and my God. 
and he submitted. Final quote. I don't usually quote anything but scripture. I think you all know that. Unless I find a really great quote. But I want to give you a quote by Napoleon Bonaparte. Probably one of the greatest generals and conquerors. I think him with Genghis Khan, Alexander the Great, and Napoleon. I think the three greatest military leaders in history. Do you know he became a believer when he was exiled at the end of his life? You can read some of his writings. They're, they're, they're on the internet. You can find them on Google. But this, this quote always has jumped out on me. He says this, Across the chasm of 1,800 years, Jesus Christ makes a demand which is beyond all others difficult to satisfy. Right? He asks for that which a philosopher may often seek in vain at the hands of his friends or a father of his children or a bride of her spouse or a man of his brother. He asks for the human heart. He will have it entirely to himself. He demands it unconditionally. And forthwith, his demand is granted. Notice what he says here, wonderful. Surrender is sweet, but it's just very hard to come to. And I want to, I want to say the unsurrendered Christian, the unsurrendered person in the church today or the person watching, I believe that person will be more miserable than any person in the world. The, per, the person who truly knows the truth and they are refusing to submit to the Lord, just doing their own thing, that person will be extremely miserable. They will be unhappy. They're wondering, why, you know, why am I experiencing these things? Why am I feeling this way? Until you come to the place where you surrender, then it becomes something wonderful. Amen? Not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. Would you bow your heads with me? And Holy Father, we thank you, Lord God, for your word. And we thank you so much, Lord Jesus. You went into the garden on your knees. You came out standing where you went straight to the cross to die for us because it was not your will, but God's be done. And we thankful, Lord God, that you went to the cross for us. You took our sins upon yourself. You suffered and you died to give us forgiveness and the gift of eternal life. And I do pray today, Lord God, as you're speaking to people's hearts, as you're just one-on-ones with people today, Lord, you're bringing people, Lord God, to that place of surrender where we pray, Lord, not our will, but yours be done. And we begin a new path, a new life, Lord God, with you. So, Father God, have your way with us today. Be glorified here, for in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. Look, you can stand with me. We will open the altars if you would like to come forward. If you'd like to just take what God has done in your heart today and take it further at the uh, altar and pray. Thank you, Pastor Frank. Lord, thank you for your word. Pastor, we didn't really talk about uh, your message, but this song is about surrendering your will to the Lord. Tug of war within me, beating for my heart. Surrender to your calling is the place that I must start. The echo of the voices drawing me beyond the veil.
fade away in silence as I surrender to your will. You are my King, and you alone am resting. My King, my eyes are stayed on you. You're my King. My heart is filled with gladness, surrendering my heart unto my King. Tug of war, tug of war within me. Your calling is the place that I must start. The echo of the voices calling me beyond death. Fade away in silence as I surrender to your will. You are my Tug of war. Tug of war within me. Beating for my heart. Surrender to your calling. Is a place that I must start. Echo of the voices drawing me beyond faith. Fade away in silence. I surrender to your My King, in You alone I'm resting. My King, my eyes are stayed on You. You're my King, my heart is filled with gladness, surrendering my heart unto my King. Every knee will bow to my King, and every tongue confess to my King. You are faithful and true, surrendering my heart to my King. Surrendering, surrendering my heart. I want to just give you a couple of announcements before you leave. So 
This coming Saturday, we have the international dinner here at Living Word Community Church. I hope you're all coming. But um, there will be no fellowship after service next Sunday because our fellowship team will be working all Saturday putting together the international dinner. It's really good. Look around. You know, we have about 74 different nationalities in the church. You, most of you will not be here on Sunday after you eat all that food because you'll have World War III going on in your stomachs. But it is a great time of just great food. Second thing is when you're coming to church on Sunday, if you have children or if you need to um, really close to the church because of, uh, of your legs, if you don't need to, park away from the church, leave the parking lot open for our elderly, leave the parking lot open for uh, parents with a, a number of kids, and the front of the church, okay? So there's a wonderful parking lot right across the street behind, what is it, a car wash now or a car dealership? And um, you can park back there. Again, you can park on the street. But we just want to, you know, again, we want to love people who may be hurting a little more, okay? And um, right, Nellie? And Nellie, happy birthday yeah. this week. Nellie, how old are you? This, you're, you're 50? 50? She's 90, but she's got the heart of a child, and she loves Jesus, and she's a blessing. So um, thank you all today. God bless you all. Have a wonderful day. Uh, just enjoy the day that the Lord has made, and God go with you all. Jesus, go with us all. Bless us all, Lord God, this day as we bless you. For all these things, Lord God, we lift up to you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all.